Jesus was an oddity. The Jews had never really ever experienced anyone like him. Now, there were other pretenders to the throne. In fact, here's a sampling of names. This is only eight of more than two dozen within a couple of decades of Jesus' life, uh, both around the time of Herod the Great and, and days afterward, who came and claimed some level of messiahship. One of those, Thutis, you may remember, he's actually mentioned in Acts 5. But none of them were as charismatic as this Nazarene. None talked with the authority with which Jesus taught. Um, In fact, nobody could debate the way Jesus debated. He was so adept that there wasn't a scholar, a rabbi, who dared challenge him because he would shut them down. Interestingly, the greatest contrast was in his teaching. Because you see, all of those others... What they were about was whipping up the crowd in order to try to save the people from the grips of Rome and to to create a revolt, all of which were handled in a very swift, efficient Roman way. But you see, Jesus' teaching was unique because what he taught was was about universal love and about a a liberation yes but a liberation from from sin this message resonated with the oppressed and and people flocked to him in droves like what's that phrase like sheep without a shepherd The popularity of this captivating teacher, this miracle worker, stoked the jealousy of the Jewish authorities to burn brighter, brighter than Nebuchadnezzar's fiery furnace. Feeling the stings of rebuke and burning envy. They came to the only logical conclusion that they could muster. This individual, he must be eliminated. Can we blame them? After all, they were only engaging in the oldest of evil emotions, an emotion that once fueled by ruminating bitterness always burns the one who was trying to handle it. There was once two brothers and just two. Abel, the second born, was more patient than the first. And he was an easygoing kind of a guy who loved animals. And he spent his days watching over his father's flocks able to put up with the unruly beast by by coaxing them and leading them to follow him. Now Cain, 
the elder didn't have the patience necessary to lead sheep. Instead, he preferred to work the ground because vegetables and grain, they don't talk back. They don't bite. He preferred that they grew in rows and they were always where they were supposed to be and didn't give you any fuss. But Cain had a very dark side. When it came time for these brothers to bring a sacrifice to God, they both brought gifts from their livelihood. Abel picked out the firstborn of the flock and he brought it as a sacrifice wholly pleasing to the Lord. Now Cain... He brought things from his efforts. He brought uh, the fruit of the soil, the vegetables and the grain. And, you know, many have wondered why. Why was Cain's sacrifice not pleasing to God? And they've come up with various theories you know, th- th- there's some who say, well, he just didn't bring the best. And yet a careful reading of the text, you can note it doesn't say that. Others have said his attitude was all wrong. Well, from what we know about Cain, that's a good possibility. Except the text doesn't say that either. Others say, well, well, it was just God's sovereign choice. I don't know about you, though. I, I don't serve a God that's arbitrary. I, I serve a God that's very, very constant. In fact, he's the only thing that is really constant in our world. Amen? Perhaps the best thought is to remember that up to this point, there had only been one sacrifice, and that was a blood sacrifice. It was a sacrifice to cover the naked sin of these two boys' parents. The shedding of blood is necessary to cover sin, you know. It was then that Cain's dark side surfaced. And what was it? It was envy. Blinded by jealousy, Cain did what many have done since the beginning of time. He engaged in that oldest of evil emotions. An emotion that once fueled by ruminating bitterness almost always burns the one who was trying to handle it. And Cain plotted and murdered his brother Abel. It would be unfair To say that all who envy kill. 
Yet, it is not unfair to recognize that unchecked envy destroys relationships. That unchecked envy is self-focused. That unchecked envy leads to other sins. It escalates conflict. It steals joy from the person who's holding on to it. Unchecked envy clouds judgment. And it's, it's at its core, it's misplaced desire. And if we're really going to be fair, we would have to admit that envy is common to all mankind. Every one of us at one level or another, at some time or another, has felt the pangs of jealousy, has felt envy. Parents. Parents have a way of playing favorites, don't they? Can I get an amen? Yeah, no, not you. I'm talking about your parents. You knew your parents played favorites, right? And if you don't know who was the favorite, um, it was probably you. And if you go and you ask your siblings, they'll tell you. Parents play favorites. Just imagine for a moment that you are a parent of 12 kids. And maybe, no, no, your parents have 12 kids and you're one of the 12 kids. Let's say you're the oldest or maybe the the next to the oldest. And you know beyond the shadow of a doubt, a fact that you could write in blood that the youngest, the baby, is your father's favorite. How would you feel knowing That he was the apple of your father's eye and you're not. Imagine that this baby flaunts his favored status before you and all the other siblings. Or at least that's the way you feel about it. Because after all, his father even gave him a special coat to wear. How would you feel when this little twerp kept telling you that one day you are going to bow down to him? Well, Joseph's brothers couldn't stand it. So they plotted and they threw him into a desert well. They were going to leave him there to starve to death. Yet, as providence would have it, there was a group of Ishmaelites who happened to be passing by, and they decided to sell that young brother into slavery for about $300 worth of silver. And then they slaughtered a goat and they took that boy's beautiful coat and they put the goat's blood on it and went back to their father and they told Jacob that some wild ferocious beast had killed his favorite son. Now we all know the name of that 
wild, ferocious beast. Don't we? That beast, fueled by ruminating bitterness that almost always consumes either the object of the desire or the one who is trying to handle it. Last week, last week we talked about God defeating Goliath through David's courage in his belief that God is greater than any giant we may ever face. In fact, could you imagine that day when Goliath fell? Could you hear the cries that went up in Israel? Could you imagine the celebration? All of the women with all of their tambourines dancing in the streets. It was a glorious day. It's the kind of day that storytellers tell about and singers sing about. And there was a song that they sang. It went like this. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. What a wonderful day, except Saul took that to heart. How much do you think Saul liked this song? Not much. If you were king, if you were the one who was, who was used to getting all of the accolades, would you want to share the limelight for this unbelievable victory? Would you like to have this little farmhand twerp get all the glory? You know, it's interesting that this, this day... This day, which which should have been the thing that permanently endeared David to Saul, forever changed their relationship. How do you think David felt? You think about it. David was completely loyal to Saul. He did Everything that Saul ever told him to do. Putting his life, risking his life for the king. When Saul gave his blessing, David went out and killed that giant. When Saul sent David out to fight the Philistines, every single time David was successful. The only trouble is, is all that did was fuel Saul's rage even more. Because you see, Saul was not interested in David being successful. Saul even thought to himself, said, I know what I'll do. I'll get him to marry Michael. Because that will distract him from the battle. And yet David was still victorious. Every time Saul tried to commit death by Philistine, David not only survived, but he endeared himself even more to the people. And Saul, Saul got angrier and angrier and jealousy consumed him, tensing him up. 
like a coiled cobra. And then it dawned on him. Something had backfired. We read this. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michael loved David, Saul became even more afraid of him. And he remained David's enemy for the rest of his days. Do you see what dawned on him? Even his own daughter loved David more than her father. So Saul picked up a spear and in an envious raised, he uncoiled and threw that spear at David. Now, you got a spear coming at your head. How would you handle it? Surely, surely David knew what Saul was doing. At least by the second time his spear came whizzing by David's head. How did David handle it? Do you remember? David ran to Jonathan, David's son, whom he had a bond with, a loving brotherly bond. Jonathan had even said, David, if you ever want to be king, I'm your man. I'm right there with you. He was even willing to give up his throne to David. So David goes over to Jonathan, and at first Jonathan doesn't believe him at all. He can't believe his father would do anything like that. David only had two options. He could either turn on Saul, or he could turn and run. Now think about it a minute. Honestly, which one would you have done? And remember, David has been successful in every battle. What would you have done? See, I believe David showed great maturity and restraint beyond his age in those moments. And he ran. Saul pursued David for several years and David eluded his grasp time after time. I believe the reason why David chose to run actually comes out in a moment of weakness where he's hiding in a cave and what you know, Saul comes in the same cave and he doesn't know David is there. And in that moment of weakness, when he had full opportunity to kill Saul, he didn't do it. Later, when his men asked him, why? You could have ended it right there. Why? David said to his men, he said, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, the Lord's Mashiach. Or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. Do you see it? It has nothing to do with Saul. It has everything to do with where David's 
focus is. You see, David dealt with Saul's envy and action in a way that few ever have the strength to do. David overcame Saul's envy by keeping his focus on God, on the Lord. Several years later, Joseph had earned great status in Egypt. He had been bought as a slave in the desert. He had come to Egypt as a slave. He had wound up in prison for several years. And lo and behold, he had rose to the second in command of Egypt just behind Pharaoh himself. Well, famine hit the land of Israel And Jacob's sons, Jacob's family, had no choice but to seek food elsewhere. So they went down to Egypt. And wouldn't you know it, they had to come and bow down to that little twerp who was now king of the world and beg him for grain be honest with yourself how would you have responded in that moment as your family who gave you up for dead were now begging favors from you how did Joseph handle it I think he handled it very much like a human. He really struggled with what he was going to do. He agonized over it. Ultimately, he knew he only had two options. He could either respond in kind or like David, he could allow his love for God to be his guide. When the brothers realized that this official was Joseph, they were frightened. And yet, we read in Genesis 50 that Joseph said to his brothers, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God meant it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives, the saving of Israel in that famine. You see, Joseph chose to not be their judge, jury, and hangman. Joseph knows that the only judge is the righteous judge, which is God. Amen? He is judge. We are not. If anything, in the courtroom of grace, friends, we stand with the guilty, with the accused, right alongside of everyone else. 
Joseph dealt with his brother's envy and actions in a way that few have ever had the strength to do. Because you see, Joseph overcame their envy by keeping his focus on God. God told Cain what his word has been to everyone who has ever been caught up in the grip of envy. In effect, he said, you can't live like this. If you do, it's going to destroy you. We read there in Genesis 4, we read this. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Yes, even Cain was given the opportunity to choose his master. And Cain refused to listen. And his envy cost him his brother, his parents. It painted him with shame for the rest of his earthly life. And in fact, even today, the world still knows the name of Cain as the first murderer. Friend, have you ever mastered jealousy, envy? If not, what is it costing you? Has it ever gotten you what you wanted or ever done anything positive? In part, it was jealousy and envy that took Jesus to the cross. Yes, he went there for you. He went through that torture for you and for me. He took our sins upon himself. But let's not forget that envy and jealousy put him there. Envy and jealousy, it is, it is not something to be trifled with. One of the oldest and most consistent sins that we see throughout Scripture. Friends, it is a gateway sin. It is a sin that leads to other sins, that escalates conflict and destroys relationship. And if you are harboring this sin, destruction is around the corner. Yet, my friends, you have a choice. You can choose today to overcome it. By putting your focus on God.
want to take just a moment. Would you pull out that uh, connection card that's in the bulletin there and, 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 and everybody pull it out and, and, and write your name on it. Uh, name and email. Uh, if you're a first-time visitor, if you want to give us a little bit more information, that would be great. Don't feel like you have to. Uh, but if you'll fill that card out, we have a table out front. There's um, a, a gift out there for you. There's there's a book that um, Jay Warner Wallace wrote. He's a, a seasoned detective. He wrote this book about uh, what, can Jesus really be identified in scripture and things known about his death from history outside of the Bible. It's a very interesting read. If you'd like that, that's sitting out there on that table with the red tablecloth. Just take your uh, first time guest, just take your um, connection card, put it in the basket there and pick up one of those books and there's a Bible there and a cup. If you'd like one of those, take one of those also. On the back side of that card. Um, There's a couple of things there I want to point out. One is the reading that's down for this week. The reading that's down for this week is is two of David's prayers that we see in Psalms. That's setting us up for next week, okay? If you'll take some time to read through those, I I think you'll look at those and identify with them, and and I think it would be good for your devotion time this week. Uh, But read through those uh, preparing for next week as we talk again about rising above and really raising our relationship with God next week. Also on the right side of the back of that card, there is a place that if you feel like your next step today is is you, you need somebody to pray with you, or you want to find out more about becoming a member, or more about what it means to be a Christian, or you, you want to find out about what it means to be baptized, you want to, want to schedule that, just mark that. Make sure you put that card in the, the offering bags as they're passed, uh, or first-timers, put your card in the basket out there. I'll get the cards, and I'll get a chance to look at them, and either I'll call you or somebody else will call you. There's a couple of things there that you can sign up for within this week and next week, so mark those as you would also. But please make sure you, you turn in that card. Let's go back to David for just a moment, if you would. I talked about you having envy. What about the other way around? What if you're in, you're in David's shoes? If you were the object of somebody else's misplaced anger, there's, there's two things that I want you to know today. Number one, you're in good company, along with Abel and Joseph and David and even Lord Jesus. And the second thing I want to point out to you is you have a choice in how you will respond. You can either choose to react or to act. Do you know the difference between a reaction and an action? The difference is if you are reacting, what are you doing? You're giving up control. You're letting what somebody else did dictate how you respond. Or you can make a choice as to how you respond. You can act. You can either react and and try uh, to, to respond in kind, defending your feelings, giving up your control, giving in to the oldest of evil emotions. Or 
you can allow the love of God to guide your heart and actions. And friends, I hope that if this has touched you today, regardless of what you may have done before today, that you choose this action moving forward. Remember the cross of Christ and remember Joseph's words from Genesis 50, 19, and 20. What the envious and the jealous meant for evil, God intended for good. To accomplish what is being done, the saving of many lives. Father God, we thank you for how there is a consistency in the word how your spirit was moving through the Old Testament, moving through the times of the New Testament, and is even moving in this world today. How you still guide and mold us and shape us from the things that are recorded in the word that you have already said, which remain true because you are the ultimate constant. And we know, Father, that you are the one who created us, And you created us to be in a relationship with you. And forgive us, Father, where we fall short of learning the lessons here in this life. To help us to be more like you. And we thank you for the times that you give us, Lord. Where we're convicted from your word. Where we're encouraged in your word. To become more and more like you as we seek to be your sons and daughters. In this time of decision, Father, be with us. May your hand move. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.